let's say that you're one of the many, many listeners who doesn't have a job this week that you had last week, and you want to be a parent who leads. What does that conversation look like? I think it starts with an expression of uh, commitment to love and attention and your full devotion as a parent to doing everything within your power to provide love, safety, and security. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that water balloon physics is helping us to understand human biological functions. And the reason this matters so much is that that thin elastic membrane around a water balloon is very similar in how it behaves, at least in fluid dynamics, to the way your cell membranes behave. So we're now figuring out what happens in that thin layer of tiny droplets of fat that hold your cells together. In order to do the math on that, scientists filled custom elastic capsules with water and threw them at 100 miles an hour and recorded the impact in super slow motion and then took tiny measurements of the footage. And they figured out surprising relationships between the behavior of the capsules and tiny water droplets. And where capsules are held together by the tension of a membrane, water droplets are held together by surface tension. And the researchers were able to use that connection to adapt and change the math that describes water droplets. So now it's a capsule engineering problem. This ties directly in with the work that Bulletproof helped to fund at the University of Washington, uh, where we looked at what happens with those tiny droplets of fat and water interacting. It turns out water is doing crazy stuff. And since your body is mostly water and we don't understand basic things about water and biology, anytime we can do something like create math that explains how fluid-filled capsules deform or change with pressure. That's you, my friend. Today's show is going to be awesome because it's a show with someone I've known. Stu, I'm dating us, I think, about for about 19 years, I, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of my Wharton professors uh, who I took his class about 19 years ago. And he's been on the show once before when he wrote a book called Total Leadership. And I wanted to interview him now because his book that just came out called Parents Who Lead that talks about how to be a parent with purpose while having a career and an actual rich life. It's kind of hard to do. And it's maybe doubly hard now that so many of us are at home with kids and I can't tell you how many podcasts have been interrupted or business meetings uh, by kids coming in. Uh, my last one, my daughter's in, my, my Zoom is crashed. I don't even know what a crash is. Ah, you know, <laughs> I'm like, all right, we, we can edit. We can edit that out. Well, let's hack this. But I, I wanted to, to get a chance, a perfect timing, actually, to talk about, okay, how do I do what was already hard, but I at least got a break at work. How do I do this? when I'm at home and I, I get these constant interruptions from kids, how do you maintain that richer life you talk about <laughs> in Parents Who Lead when it's, it's some days kind of degraded to a series of constant interruptions, whether it's, I'm just going to focus on this PowerPoint presentation. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to focus on your socks. And then, you know, <laughs> really, how do we do that, Stu? You're, you're the wizard. Tell us. Oh my gosh, Dave, it's so good to be here and to be with you again. Um, 
and and what I remember from from you uh, in my class these many years ago is that you always ask difficult questions, and that's one of the reasons why I just love knowing you. Oh, thanks. Uh, so that's a tough one uh, because we're in you know uncharted waters now, uh, and we're, you know so many of us are just being forced to figure out new ways of living and working that we just never had to we've never had to confront before. I think. To answer your question, I think the the most important thing is to be flexible, to give yourself a break, uh, and to communicate, maybe over communicate with people, including your kids, if they're capable of you know human communication beyond <laughs> you know grunts and give me milk or whatever, you know to to where you can actually talk about what your needs and interests are, what her needs and interests are, as well as with your colleagues or you know your, your community members, whoever it is that you're interacting with, so that you can become more skilled at mastering the art of interruptibility, which is what I wrote about many years ago in Total Leadership and which now seems ever more difficult as the physical boundaries between work and family have virtually disappeared for so many of us. You've studied work-life integration for 30 years. That, that You actually started a program about 30 years ago. It seems like the culmination of 30 years of research is when everyone unprepared is suddenly practicing full-on work-life integration. And you're saying, be flexible and, and talk to your kids. Uh, uh, come on. Really? It, well, <laughs> what does even being know, flexible look like? <laughs> it's a little bit more than that. Well, I think the, the thing that many people just under estimate in terms of its power in being able to deal with, you know, constant interruption is setting up expectations with the people that you're with to say, look, here's what's happening in the larger context of my life right now. I've got two kids at home and it's highly likely that I'm going to have to deal with one or two of them over this next hour. Uh, here, and, and here's some ideas for how I, how we can, how we can adjust when that happens. What do you think? What are you dealing with in your world that I should know about? And to just, just take a couple of minutes at the start to just set expectations so that when you are indeed having to deal with your daughter's crash on Zoom, I'm surprised she doesn't know what crash means, but I guess she'll be learning, uh, you know, that, that it's not a shock to your, you know, your colleagues or whoever, you know, whoever it is that you're interacting with and that you can both adjust. And what I'm seeing with my students, with my clients over the last couple of weeks is that there's so much more of a, of a, I don't know if accommodation is the right word as, you know, interest in people's lives is, you know, you're looking into my home office right now. I'm looking into your, your kitchen slash workspace and we get to know each other, you know, in ways that we didn't before. And there's a lot of benefit to that. So I think, you know, the simple acknowledgement of I'm a human being beyond, you know, the work exchange that we're doing right now. And so are you. So let's deal with that. Uh, we're being forced to do that now, and I think that that's helping everybody. It just does require, as I say, some adjustment and flexibility. But I think if you negotiate it just a bit up front, it makes everything a lot easier. What do you think? I think negotiating and saying what you want is important. In fact, I I remember you're one of the very first people who said, can we take an ROI approach and as a return on investment? Like, what do you get for what you do on your entire life? And the, the class that I... I took from you those two decades ago was, was a real brutal and kind of frank assessment of uh, how much energy are you putting into different parts of your life, your community, uh, you know, your home life, your relationships, your friends, your health, all that. 
And most people in an executive MBA program are saying, uh, I'm probably not very balanced because I'm working and I'm going to school full time. Uh, but you're, you're sort of telling people, hey, you know, hold up the mirror, like measure and, and then take action. Yeah. And parents who lead, okay, now we're at home. <laughs> so how do you measure and then figure out this ROI on, on what to do? And I mean, certainly communicating needs based on, hey, if you do this one thing that has the highest return for me, I'd be really grateful. Okay, that's cool. But how do you even know what has a high return when you're at home? Well, it starts with just doing the diagnostic. So uh, there's this thing called the four-way view, which you did back in the day. I don't know if I called it that then. I think I did. Uh, where you do just what you suggested. Now, let me just take a minute so that listeners can understand what it is. And they can do it right now, in fact. It's not that complicated. So if you, if you think of these four buckets or these four spheres of your life or domains as work or career or school, that's one piece. Another is your home or family. It's the second piece, however you define that. And of course, that comes in many, many different forms. Um, and then there's the community or relationships beyond work and family, friends, neighbors, social groups, political groups, religious groups, whatever. And then there's you just as an individual, your private self, that is your body, your mind, your heart. So those you know, the, the boundaries among those, of course, can be quite permeable and they can overlap. And in some cases, they're separate and distinct. Let's put that aside for now. Just think about these four different domains for the sake of doing this rough cut diagnostic on what matters and where is your attention and what's the impact or the ROI that you're getting from you know, the attention that you're spending on each domain. So if you think of those four domains and the first thing, that I'll ask you to do is to take 100 points and allocate them according to how important, right now, snapshot of your current subjective reality, how important is each of those parts of your life to you? So you could put all 100 in one bucket if you wanted exactly. to. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. So if your boss is sitting next to you, you could just put 100 into work and zero, zero, zero on the rest. And I'm just kidding. That. That's the old model of the ideal employee. It, it really is. I mean, that's the IBM model. Just look at Mad Men. I mean, that, that was how it was. It was. It was. And, and, and that still lingers in many parts of the world, unfortunately. You, you were top 100 exec at Ford, which is an old, old-lined company. I was uh, top 300, but yes, I was an executive bander brought in from, uh, from Morton for a few years. Just before I met you, I spent a few years there as the head of leadership development for the company worldwide. And that's where we came up with this total leadership model based on the research that we've been doing at Morton in the 90s. And uh, yeah, the ideal employee at Ford then was one of uh, 100% commitment, but I was brought there to try to change that. So it wasn't functional. It was no longer working, right? And and the CEO brought in thirty of us at the at the top three hundred level to to infuse new blood and different models for how to how to work and and how to live and how to think about uh, the company from an outside in perspective as opposed to from an inside out perspective. And um, our work, the work that I did there, was was a part of that initiative. So yes, that's the old model. And for some people, it still is 100% work and nothing else. But most people don't have that profile. But my point here is that it can be anything. I think that was your point as well. Whatever that, you know, whatever that allocation is, take an honest 
no bullshit look at, all right, what do you really care about? Not what your mother wants you to think, not what your friends say you should be doing, but what really is in your your heart and mind right now. And this is what you care about, not what you're doing. Yes. In the second column, second column of this chart this uh, that you can envision, and you can just scratch this out on a piece of paper or anywhere, uh, is where is your attention, which I assert is perhaps your most important asset as a, as a leader in your life and your business life. Where's your attention your, during your waking hours in a typical week or month, any period, uh, on a percentage basis? Same four domains. Where, where does Facebook fit in those four? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> it's like 80% if, of attention for some people. <laughs> if, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, it's work, I suppose. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. That, well, that's a really good question. You know, how do you think about your social relationships online? Is that, you know, your community life? Is it your work life? And, you know, again, there's some overlap. But the, the point here is to make some distinctions among the different parts to get you to think a little bit more creatively about how these different parts of your life interact and how they affect each other because they do. So you, so you take another 100 points and allocate them as to where is your attention? in a typical week. So not, not so much where your physical presence is because there's an important distinction between physical presence and psychological presence, right? You can be physically present and psychologically absent. So another hundred points allocate them according to, again, an honest appraisal as to where is your attention. And then, and then look at the ROI first in terms of your subjective sense of well-being on a simple scale of one Things are terrible. Ten to I'm fully satisfied and feel great at work, at home, in the community, and for myself personally. What? How would you rate that? Um, you know, that takes some reflection and some sober looking at. Well, how do I feel about how things are going in each of these different parts of my life? And then finally, finally, ask yourself, how well am I doing in performing in each of these different domains in terms of the needs and expectations of the people who matter most to me in each of the different parts. So again, on a scale of one to 10, Dave, if I were to ask you to identify, and I did ask you this 20 years ago, who are the key stakeholders in your work life? And you'd think about who those people are and you'd think about how well you're meeting their expectations and you'd rate that again on a simple scale of one terribly to 10 outstandingly. How would you rate how well you're doing? Um, and then do the same for your home relationships, your family, as well as for your key relationships among friends and community. And then finally, in terms of how well you're doing in meeting your own goals and expectations. And that is the four-way view snapshot. So anyone can do that. And what we find is that when you take that snapshot, you start to think about where there's opportunity for you to perhaps shift some of your attention so that you can better meet the needs and expectations of the people around you and take real action to make things better for you and for them once you start to look for it. And what we do in Parents Who Lead is have partners in parenting, as we refer to them. Sometimes they're married, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're separated, sometimes they're single and they've got partners who are you know, not lovers, but they are other partners in the parenting enterprise, whoever they might be. Fill that out for yourself and then have them fill it out and also fill out 
yours, your estimate of what you think they would say, right? So fill it out for yourself and then you fill it out for your partner and then they do the same for you and come together to see, all right, what does this actually look like in terms of what we care about and where we're putting our time? Uh, when I did this along with you know 100 friends in school, uh, pretty much after the first two columns, when we go, oh, where am I putting, what do I care about? And then where am I putting my time? Like, wait a minute, I'm putting a huge amount of my time in stuff I don't care about. Uh, and then you say, oh, uh, and, and that uh, in and of itself sort of is a slap in the face. And then you get to the next one, you say, okay, how good of a job am I doing? Like, well, wait, okay, I might be doing a good job on stuff I don't care about, but I'm doing a bad job on stuff that I care about even more. Like, oh, wait, uh, I'm not doing so well here. And then you get to the next one, and then you ask, you know, the people who are influencers and important for you, and you get answers probably like you'd expect. But sometimes, though, especially on the home relationship stuff, the answers are usually not what you'd expect at all. Um, I remember one friend from uh, from class, even you know, 20 years later, uh, when she sat down and she said, okay, I did all this work, and she asked her partner, hey, uh, you know, what What do you think about all this stuff? It, and what came out of it was that every time she'd come home from a business trip, she'd run and grab the dog and play with the dog. And, and he's like, what am I? Like, below the dog? It, like, it was a major thing that... <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it was it was really funny because she was laughing about it. She's like, I had no idea. I just, I love the dog. I miss the dog. And, you know, so they actually, you know, changed what she did when she came home. It was a dumb little thing, except it dumb really matters. Thing. Of course right? it does. And, and so we're all, we're all full of that. Yeah. If we, yes, and everybody's got something like that. And and so what we do in, in this new book, which is d- done specifically for parents, you know, raising kids together, is to is to focus on how uh, how we could design these exercises in a way that would work for them as a collective. So that's why we have, you know, with examples from our lab. So we ran a lab for a, a year or so to get real people going through these exercises from which we learned and their stories fill the book as illustrations of how to do this and how to talk to each other so that you can get on the same page, even though you're going to have differences and there's going to be conflict. The key at the beginning is to establish, all right, what's the common ground that we want to walk together? What do we have in common as our you know shared view of the future? So you may remember, Dave, I also asked you to, to write a leadership vision, you know, uh, identifying what a, an ideal day would look like 15 years down the road. What would you be doing in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? And, and why would you be doing what you're doing? And with whom? And what's the impact that you're having? I remember mine. It was just one word. It just said coffee. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and, and, so, and so it became uh, real. So... We have people do that now on their own, and then we have their partner do it, and then they, again, they look at it together and say, wow, these are amazingly different. What are we going to do about that? Or, wow, we, we want the same exact thing. It's usually somewhere in between. Let's see now what we can do about creating a shared collective vision of the future that helps to inspire us, to guide us, and to help us make decisions, not just in the long run, but now in terms of what we really care about. And what we found is that that's probably the most important aspect of this whole this whole process is getting on the same page as to what really matters because everything flows from that. Is there a difference between parents who lead and what's the opposite of that? It's a better way of, what's the opposite of parent, parents who follow? Like, like, like what, what do you mean when you say parents who lead? What are they leading? Who are they leading 
and who's following? So what we've done here is to try to take the, the science of leadership that we have contributed to and that we've you know, curated from the literature on, on leadership and psychology and, and use that to inform the art of parenting. So to lead is to inspire people to come with you to a better tomorrow based on a clear picture of today. Uh, and, and to do that requires that you have some sense of what a better tomorrow is looking like and to articulate that in a way that other people can understand. Well, first as a partnership, but then a, whoever matters to you and especially your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that requires some effort. You know, it doesn't happen by magic and nobody just, you know, anoints you a leader. You have to, you have to create that. Uh, so parents who don't lead are people who feel like many people do these days, and that is overwhelmed, scared, uh, reactive to life circumstance and not really uh, asserting an idea about their sense of purpose in the world and what it is that they're trying to do during their brief time dancing on this beautiful earth. You know, so they they are feeling, you know, will of the wisp torn and tattered, moving around in a lot of different directions and not really feeling uh, clear about what it is that they're here to do. And of course, that affects their kids. Uh, so parents who lead are those who have a sense of what matters to them. And they've, they're, they're figuring out, just as we all are, each day a new way to take a step in a direction that's closer and closer to that uh, world that they see as a a better tomorrow for them and the people that they care about. I, I think it does. You're saying having a shared vision makes leadership. Now, I've seen almost no companies where there's co-CEOs succeed. There's usually like you're the boss, as in the head leader, and everyone has to practice leadership, but ultimately there is a leader. And when there isn't a leader, usually chaos and uh, political games ensue, and it's just a nasty situation. That's a good point. So in a, in a family... When you have you know, two uh, people usually who are raising a child, uh, how do you decide who's the leader? How, how do you avoid that co-leadership trap? Yeah. Well, there's you know, more research now on shared leadership models in teams and the importance of having uh, you know, joint ownership of you know, responsibility for taking people into a better future. Uh, so, so we know more about this now. Uh, that said, you know, there's always going to be tension because you know, once you have two people, you've got two different worldviews, and that requires continual adjustment and negotiation. And that's, you know, that's that's the that's the work. So, uh, you know, each couple is different, each partnership is different, uh, but the ones that work, uh, just like you know, the companies that are successful in distributing leadership, are those that are spending some time on, all right, who's good at what? Who wants to do what? What's fair? And let's figure that out. And let's look at what's working and what's not. And let's adjust as we learn what's working and what's not. Uh, it doesn't come easily. Let's take this down into quarantine land. Okay. Uh, I asked around in my group of uh, uh, stakeholders, uh, my, my wife and my kids, um, who loves to do uh, dirty dishes? And Sue, it's gonna it's gonna amaze you, but like no one raised their hand, not even once. Get out. Yeah. Wait, I, you're 
your daughter, how old are your kids now? Uh, 12 and 10. My daughter's 12, son's 10. All right. So your 10-year-old son is not into the, doing the dishes? I'm shocked. They're shocked. I, I, I know. Maybe there's something wrong with them. I don't know what you're doing there. I think we need to talk more, but please continue with your question. I think I know where you're going. All right. So this is one of those things where we all have a shared goal of, you know, we'd like to be able to eat our next meal because if we don't have dishes to or place to cook, we can't do that. But no one wants to do the work. And everyone listening to this is dealing with this at probably two and usually three times a day more than they did before. Yes. Uh, so how would you go about applying this parents who lead model towards the shitty tasks of daily living that we're all the seeing more shitty of. tasks. Yes. And oh, man, I wish I had an easy answer for you, but, uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a hard answer, <laughs> which is the only one I know. And that is, um, however you can, I mean, I, you started to answer it yourself. However you can ground the, the choices about who has to do what in a sense of fairness. And, a larger perspective on like why you're doing what you're doing, like why this has to get done. And that's what you started to address. Look, if we don't have clean dishes, we're going to get hungry fast or we're going to get germs. Uh, you know, who wants that kids? Do you either if you want to have, you know, disease coming into our family because our dishes aren't clean, which one of you wants that? So why is it important for us to be doing this? I mean, a good leader does this. He or she explains, look, this is why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just by executive fiat that I'm micromanaging your ass because I like to boss you around. It's there's a purpose here. You're you're ruining you're ruining my next book. I was going to call it Pepper Spray Parenting, and and that was going to be my answer for everything. And still, oh. you can try that, Dave. It's you know, in the short run, it's probably easier. But, you know, what we have to be as, as leaders is role models for the kind of values we were, we're trying to teach our kids. And that's really what the heart of this whole project is about, to be values conscious or values driven as a leader in your family and the other parts of your life that you care about. And, you know, it's hard, but it's possible and anybody can do it. And it actually makes it easier to say, now do you understand? No, I don't. Well, OK, I tried to explain it to you. You still have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. 
If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we do a lot of talking about brain development and the, the, the power of having experience. And, and there's this interesting conversation lately around uh, if you have practiced something enough, you have enough experience that you've developed competence, then you're competent at it. Uh, and then when you express uh, that you're competent in it, then it, it's actually just just normal. But when you have no experience and you express competence, it's arrogance, right? And and so when, as any child will do, they, they say, I already know how to do that. I'm like, okay, can you explain how you have any experience doing this and any practice becoming competent? Uh, and then the conversation, oh, okay, well, in our house, you know, in order to get competence at something, you have to have done it before. Uh, so you will be quiet and listen <laughs> and, and then we'll continue you know, I, I think that any example that you can give from your own life where you, uh, you know, demonstrated that same arrogance and it, you know, and what the consequences were for you or other people, uh, you know, that can help. Uh, it's it, it's a tough situation. So we talked about dishwashers. Uh, mm -hmm. What about this? These other aspects of leadership, where th these are things that maybe your your kids normally wouldn't be exposed to, for instance. Uh, a lot of times when there's parents, uh, if, if you had a, a fifth um, a fifth category in the study we just did, which would be uh, marital relations, yeah. uh, there's an interesting graph uh, around young, the age of the children and happiness with your love life, and they're inversely correlated, right? Right. Um, so now that people are in a quarantine sort of situation where you never get a break from your partner or from your kids, right? Uh, how how does that shift your perspective on being a parent who leads? A parent who leads and never gets to be alone. Uh, well, you know, just because you're living together and you know never having uh, you know your own uh, bounded space doesn't mean that you can't have some time during the day to do something that enables you to be on your own. Um, and, and I think it's critical to, as I'm sure many of your guests have, have, have talked about, you know, compassion starts with yourself, right? Uh, in order for you to have the kind of generosity and tolerance that's needed in these terribly trying times, uh, you know, under the constraints that we're all having to operate under, um, you got to have some 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 time for yourself. You got you got to do whatever it takes to have even a sliver of time uh, where you are consciously and deliberately caring for yourself. But you know the the, the really interesting literature on um, survivors of uh, prison camps and um, you know prisoners of war from the generation prior to mine uh, shows powerfully how the, the key to survival in those circumstances, the people who made it through, uh, were those who found some way to care for other people. Uh, despite, you know, they had enough of re internal reserves, but they became, they had a reason to live. They had a, a purpose that was uh, invariably driven by 
you know, helping other people, even if it was like a thin slice of a corner of a piece of gruel that kept somebody else, you know, breathing for another day, um, that, that helped them to sustain their own, their own sense of, you know, life and purpose. So it's, you know, you got to have both, I think, uh, some centered idea of like what you need, uh, and some time, even if it's in a corner under a table, there's a lot of people going into closets in small apartments in New York city who are just finding, you know, a few minutes of I'm shutting the freaking door. I'm going to be alone here. I mean, I'm going to meditate or whatever. And, you know, and daddy needs this time, you know, in order for me to be able to do what I need to do for everybody else today, I need this 10 minutes. So, you know, whatever it takes. We, we had a, a conversation the other day in my house, and I wanted to relate this back to the, the overarching parts of, of parents who lead. But I, my kids, as all kids do, they, they want to creep their bedtime later, later and later and later. And finally, I sat down and I said, look, if you just take only an extra 20 minutes here, it seems like, oh, it's just 20 minutes. I said, but l- let me explain this to you. If you go to bed at 8.30 and I go to bed at 10.30, that means I've got two hours, right? And during that two hours, I need to get ready for bed. I have chores and tasks, and I'd like to have some time just to talk with mom, you know, just some one-on-one adult time when the children are not here because that's important for adults. And I said, so if you use 20 or 30 minutes of that, what percentage is it? You see the little math things going, that's that's 25%. Like, yes, and that's why you're going to get your ass to bed on time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no well you know i would have paused <laughs> not bad dave because you helped them to understand your reasoning what you didn't do in that scenario as you described it was to ask them you're not asking permission here you're just saying when you laid out your your reasoning which was very clear you might have then said what, what do you think about what i just told you does this make sense to you does, does what i suggested you know are are my needs to what questions do you have about that? No, dad, I get it. You need to be with mom. You need to take care of all this other crap. I get it. Uh, that makes sense. And I can see how that helps me ultimately. So by doing that quick check-in on, you know, so you're not, it's not just a top-down command. This is what I need. So, you know, get to bed now. You're doing what, you know, this is one of the leadership principles that, you know, pervades this work is explain your reasoning. You know, it doesn't mean that you're asking for their, you know, you're not delegating authority to them. You're not, you're not relinquishing your responsibility. You're just helping them to understand the choices that you're making and, again, the values that underlie them. You know, our, my relationship with mom is really important to me. It's important to her. And we believe it's important to you, too. So getting by it's getting buy-in on the underlying value that drives the choices of your your time and attention that you're that you're trying to get them to see is something that they should support. Got it. Because of uh, enlightened self-interest, or well, when you're young, exactly. Not yeah. so enlightened self-interest, but at least self-interest. <laughs> emerging. Yeah, emerging. As, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what you're teaching them, and and that's what that's what we're hoping more and more parents will start to do is to is to is to be conscious in, of their role as you know educating the next generation as to values that are the ones that you you'd want them to to hold and to live by and to and to be willing to fight for and as i look to the future uh, i see the need for 
children, you know, the next generation having a strong sense of what they stand for and why it's important that they take a stand, uh, that that's going to be more important than ever. Don't you think? I really do think it's going to be critically important. In fact, you, you read my mind there. Um, it, we all know that, that kids will copy what uh, their parents did. In fact, most, most people listening, unless you've done huge amounts of uh, work as a, as a therapist or something, uh, or you spent years meditating uh, in a temple somewhere by yourself, you probably do a bunch of things your parents did, uh, whether it's the way you set the table, uh, you just little things throughout the life that you never consciously decided to do. That they're just how it's always been, and you know you'll you're very likely at the end of your life die doing some of those same things and never having known it. it it's just a human condition. So 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 we know that our our kids learn by watching how we lead, but aside from being good role models as leaders, so I'm taking that off the table for you. What can listeners and me, what, what can we do to teach our kids to be better leaders, especially in the face of a bunch of fear like they're dealing with today? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it starts with acknowledging you know, the fear and anxiety and, and not denying it. So if you're feeling scared, as I am, you know, I, I just welcomed my first granddaughter into the world six days ago, born in New York City. Thank you. Um, I'm guessing you weren't there for the delivery. Well, my her her father, who was my son, was not there. Yeah, they, they didn't let him in. Yeah, the next day they rescinded that that regulation. Yeah, but it was okay. He was home with their thirteen year old adopted son, uh, and that in some ways made it easier. It's a longer story, Dave, than your listeners probably want to hear about. But uh, everybody's good. Uh, but you know, of course, I worry about them, and they worry, and there's a lot of fear, especially in New York right now. So to deny that there is real, you know, scary things happening in the world doesn't help. Um, But you have to sort of frame it in terms that, you know, kids can understand. Courage, of course, is, you know, is, is persisting despite fear. It's not ignoring fear, pretending that, you know, that danger doesn't exist. It's acknowledging it and then finding a way somehow to persist because you have some sense of hope that there's a better tomorrow, which is why having that picture of a better tomorrow is so critically important. So, uh, I would start with that. You know, these are scary times. Here's what we're hoping for. Here's what we believe in, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, the importance of education or social justice or, uh, adventure, uh, well, you know, whatever it is that you value, that you want your kids to, to know about, to stand for, find a way to talk to them about it in ways that they can get and bring that down to the level of, okay, now this is why you're going to sleep at 8.30 <laughs> or, you know, why you got to do the dishes so that they feel a part of something bigger and they're not just being, you know, like so many parents who don't lead, you know, torn and 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 you're blown about by the winds of fate now let's say that you're one of the many many listeners who doesn't have a job this week that you had last week and you want to be a parent who leads what does that conversation look like i think it starts with an expression of uh commitment to love and attention and your 
full devotion as a parent to doing everything within your power to provide love, safety, and security to your kids. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Uh, it's not going to be easy. We're going to have to make some changes in the way that we live. Um, and and you know, we're going to we're going to do this together. And I'm I'm never going to stop trying uh, to do everything I can to, to to be the father that you need me to be, to be the mother that you need me to be, because you are the most important thing to me. I think it's just you know, the honest appraisal of you know, this sucks, but you know, we'll get through this together. Is is what we need from all leaders right now? Okay, there's transparency here. So some couples, you know, it, it's your money, you make it. Other couples, everything is shared. You know, that you, sometimes yeah. you have your own credit card, sometimes you don't. Uh, but during a time like this, I mean, how transparent do you recommend parents be with with kids? Is it oh. time for more transparency, less transparency? It seems like a, such a messy thing, but it's such a part of leadership. As a CEO, how many employees should see all the numbers? I don't want them to go to the competitors, but I want everyone to know how we're doing. It, it, it's the same thing. You want your kids at school talking, you know, my parents don't have a job, my parents are doing well, even though some, you know, it just seems messy. What, what, do, you, what do you do there? I, I think it in part depends on their age and what they're capable of taking of in. Um, you know, one of the things we did at, at Ford uh, was to share with every employee worldwide uh, our you know, what drove our share price. We just taught them how to understand shareholder value. And what we aimed to do was to have each and every employee, this was the aspiration, understand how what they did, no matter what their job, how it contributed to that value. And that meant opening up some of the financial picture you know, that had previously been closed. And there were problems with implementation of that, as you can imagine, with 330,000 people in 80 different countries. But the idea was so well-received and where it worked, uh, it, it just created so much more commitment and sense of confidence, like, okay, I'm a part of this. So that's, that's my general bias to be sharing information that's relevant for people, you got to figure out, is this relevant? Do they need to know? And typically the people who are higher up in, a, in an organizational chain, whether that's a family or a company, think that, yeah, they don't need to know. When it turns out, actually they do need to know. Yeah. And it would help them. And more importantly, it would help you if they knew. So you know, because that is the bias, lack of trust and nah, they don't need to know. Uh, you know, I, I would urge you and others to think twice about that and to ask yourself, what really is the risk in their knowing and, and place that against the upside of, of their having a better sense of reality and a, and a greater sense of their being able to contribute to making it a better one. So it could be that a lot of execs and maybe even a lot of parents, we have a, a fear that, Oh, you know, kids will talk at school or, you know, employees will leave and take our you know, competitive whatever information with us. But yeah, those are real risks, but maybe they aren't as big as the real upside, but the upside is more vague. So, okay, I, I buy that. So it's harder to, it's harder to see it in the near term. Yeah. So thinking through what the risks of withholding that information can help you to get over that hurdle. Okay. Ford versus Ferrari. 
Accurate? I haven't Not seen accurate. it. You haven't, I haven't seen, seen it? seen it. That is actually an incredible movie. I think of all humans on Earth, you would have been a guy who'd see it. I know, no. It's 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 on the very, very top of the of the list of things that I'm trying to get to. Everybody says, Oh, I'm home watching Netflix, and I'm like, Really? When do you do that? Okay. <laughs> I, I watched um, it with the kids. It was one of those movies that was ninety nine percent age appropriate. Uh, and so I, I was figuring they they paint the Ford culture so beautifully from the sixties, right? Yes, uh, yes. At least I think All they right. do. So I wanted to know if you saw the the remains of that. So we'll just put this as a plug for if you're if you like the show, that movie is is mostly clean, a little bit of swearing. It it was it was fantastic and it was, it was about organizational behavior and resistance to change and disruption and all the good stuff anyway. Mm, can't wait. I'm so sorry. I I came ill prepared, Dave. Ah. No. One of my favorite leadership techniques for children is you put them in front of a screen and then, you know, it's just all automatic from there. <laughs> uh, this is the great debate. Yeah, yeah that, that's uh, my second year. book after the pepper spray one. Uh, what, what's that? What's that book going to be called? I have no idea. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Uh, 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 automated parenting. That's a good one. We uh, plug in parent. Yeah, my my kids are in a Waldorf school, so they the reason my daughter didn't really know what a Zoom crash was is because she actually didn't have she had never used Zoom until three days ago because right. they're they use paper and stuff. It's weird. It, it's like an iPad that that operates off solar power and, and never uh, runs out of battery. Like, <laughs> you amazing. know, pencil and paper. Uh, and ah. Uh, uh. Uh, so to them, this is all pretty new and exciting and fun. But for and it's not like we don't watch Netflix. But my my question for you is, okay, I want to be a parent who leads. I want to be present yeah. for my kids. Yes. And I also uh, want to go hang out in the closet for an hour. So I'm going to give the kids uh, some of uh, you know some of the screen time. And I know you're not an expert on screen time, but I'm not. It feels like you're abdicating leadership when you throw your kids in front of something that uh, gets their attention like that. Is is it abdication? You know, again, give yourself a break. It's okay. okay. So, so um, X amount is okay based on your Professor values. Professor Stu says, relax your, you know, insane type A standards just a little bit. It's okay. However, uh, my take, again, I'm, you know, 67. So, like, what do I know about this stuff? My take is, uh, and I have studied it anecdotally with students, with clients, and reading some of the literature. There are better, there are good games, and then there are bad games, right? Uh, there's there's good video and there's bad video. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that's the key. It's not so much the quantity of time; it really is about the quality, which goes for parenting as well. You know, and I've done that. I have done research on it's. You know, if you're present psychologically, if you're there, paying attention, listening, curious, compassionate, engaged, uh, for you know a half hour, that's a lot better than sitting next to your kid while you're on your smartphone for two hours. So totally true. Quality matters. Quality matters. And so choose your choose your video poison wisely so that you know what your kid is doing there is in some way socially or intellectually or otherwise enriching. And there's a lot of a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of opportunities to do that. The you know, the, the games that are addictive in the in the in the worst sense uh, tend to be, you know, mind candy and that's a problem. Limited doses, I think it's okay. Yeah, there's some evidence even for you know hand-eye coordination and stuff like that. But lots of that, man, it's it's especially hard for young brains to resist those. It's also especially hard for parents to never say, you know, you can have an hour because I just wanted to chill. And 
And I think your your underlying point there is, you know, even leaders practice some self care because the ones who don't, if they go through uh, the four way analysis you just talked about, their inner inner happiness number uh, is going to be exceptionally low because they're always sure. Like I'll I'll read a book to you even though I just needed to close my eyes for a little while, and you could have listened to an audio book, you know, stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. okay. well, I. Uh- don't forsake reading to your children. No, no, I'm not saying you shouldn't read. <laughs> I know, no, I don't. I'm just saying, you know, if, if there are times when you say, "All right, I I will uh, I will read to you," and there are times when I'm done reading to you because I needed to let give my brain a rest. Yeah, and that's and that's going to be good for you, Junior. And here's why. So you know, and and it's the same thing with your boss, with your clients. You know, here's why my being interrupted now, and why you might see my cat jump on my lap while we're talking why that's something that's ultimately going to make me more effective in helping you to deliver you know, to, to deliver for you what's important to you. And that's, that's an important part of the leadership mindset that we're trying to help people to develop is it's not just about your needs. It's not just about your kids' needs. It's not just about you know, what you're trying to do for yourself. It's how can I make this something that's going to work for us? I, uh, I love it. All right, one final question. Yeah. If I use the Skype blurred backgrounds or the Zoom virtual backgrounds, is that good for working from home or bad for working from home? Wait, uh, say it again. I'm not sure I'm getting the question. Right. So look at my background right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something annoying. Oh, okay. Your your exact background. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna go to okay. my audio and video settings, and okay. I'm gonna say appearance. Got the, got the Dave background. Uh, I'm gonna say oh, where's the thing here. Uh, what I love about your background, Dave, I'm just yeah. going to say immediately, the orange uh, top for your refrigerator, I assume that's a refrigerator? Yeah, it's a refrigerator. That's super cool because that's so on brand, you know, oh, thank obviously. You. Yeah, no, I, that's the thing that I've been thinking mostly about during our conversation. Was my orange fridge? <laughs> yes. Now, um, I just oh, wow. turned on the blurred okay. background. You, you were saying earlier that, that to work from home during yeah. the virus... Uh, that yeah. it, it would, it, it's good because you're like, oh, people, you see more about their lives, but you can also, you know, you don't want to look like you live in a pigsty. So I just blurred yes. my background. And on Zoom, if we were doing that, I could actually have a background of, you know, outer space or sure. wavy palms and you wouldn't even see my background. That's right. Is that actually a good thing from your perspective? You know, 30 years of organizational development. I, I, I just want your opinion. I know that you haven't studied okay. this in a study. All but, right, fair. Yeah. So just my personal opinion, I'd rather see the detail. Yeah. But I'm I'm nosy, which makes me a good social scientist. I like to peek into people's lives and look at all the detail and say, wow, what is that jaw doing on top of the stove? What is Dave thinking about that dinosaur thingy or whatever that shock, shark mouth or whatever that is? That's interesting. That tells me something about you. It, right? It's a crocodile skull, life-size okay. replica with gold teeth. Well, they're painted gold, but you know, gold bling. I, I don't know what it says. I just saw it and I liked it, but it, okay. it, it's so that, interesting. <laughs> so that's just another another window into the soul of Dave Asprey, which I'm super curious about. So I go for detail rather than the blur. I go for real rather than the fake because I think that helps us be human to human. It also encourages us to clean up our environment when we're <laughs> in it all the time. So I... I will admit I removed my used coffee cups from the counter behind me before the interview. <laughs> you did. You see, that too I would see is uh, consistent with what I would expect 
is lots of used coffee cups. Um, but the ones but... off camera, they're here. All right. Beautiful cup. Stu, I, I appreciate your work in the world studying what makes people happy and makes them perform well at work and at home and understanding their different environments, but that, that, that leadership is there and then applying it to parenting, not you know in your 20s or 30s, but waiting until you were almost 70, which is the age when real wisdom comes on. So I'm going to give you a rounding error up, to, up, up there as one of our, our elders. And uh, <laughs> I'll I, take it. Yeah, I, I do... I do really, uh, I really, I think your work has merit. It's made a difference in my life for the last 20 years. Just that ROI lens, the self-assessment, getting, uh, getting a buy-in and an, an honest assessment from your partner in parenting. All that is, is just table stakes. And when people take the time to do it, I think there's, there's great value. So I wanted to have you on the show. And your book is twice as important now that we're in a pandemic because relationship pressures and parenting pressures are higher now than they were when you got at least eight hours a day out of the house uh, when you didn't have to deal with it as much. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so thank you for writing the book. I know it's stressful to launch a book. It just came out right in mm-hmm. the middle of all this and it's hard to get through the media noise. Uh, but you know, your book is on point for where we are as a, as a society right now. And I'm just going to recommend if you're a parent, uh, or you work with parents and things like that, parents who lead is a, a meaningful, meaningful book that you should add to your shelf. Thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. Stu, I enjoyed the interview and I look forward to having you on when you write your next book in a few years. Another one in the works? Plug in parenting. We're going to do that together, Dave. (laughs) I love it. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review or pick up Stu's book, which is called Parents Who Lead and leave a review for that after you buy it and after you read it because You would tip your Uber driver if you ever saw them, uh, your Uber Eats driver. Uh, And hopefully you're still leaving a little tip out there. Uh, For anyone who helps you, the way you tip an author is just by leaving a review. We don't want money. We just want to know we made a difference because that makes us live longer. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.